Good morning. Hello. Happy Easter. Past Capis, pal. Nice. Ah, oh, yeah. We can do Welsh as well in this church. So. Um, it's really lovely to have you with us this morning. It's really nice to see you on this glorious day. What a beautiful day for Easter. So chuffed. We're not having roast lamb. We're having a barbecue because it's so great. It's like, thank you, Jesus, for today. Um, so as Ian said at the beginning, we're the site pastors here. My name's Soph. Um, if I've not met you, then I'd really love to say hello before the morning is out. So do come and say hi, or I'll try and come and find you. Um, it is my privilege to be preaching today. It's such a significant day in the Christian calendar. And I love the thought that as we're sat here and as we've been worshipping up and down the country, across the nations, across the world, there are millions and millions of people celebrating today with us. Um, celebrating the life-changing, world-changing event that is the resurrection of Jesus. So what a day. And the chocolate also just adds to the excitement for me, so lovely. Now, ultimately, for me, I believe that Easter, the message of Easter, is ultimately one of hope. And I believe it is a message that the world around us is desperately longing for. It's a hope that the world needs. So my intention this morning is to spend a bit of time just reflecting on the resurrection and to look at what it means for us today and also what it means for the world around us, what it means for our wonderful city that we love. And I came across this quote as I was preparing. A wonderful um, scholar, N.T. Wright, has put it like this. Easter was when hope in person surprised the whole world by coming forward from the future into the present. So what does that actually mean? And what impact does Easter have for us today? That is what I want to explore this morning. Um, and before we start, I'd love to just pray. So, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill this room with your hope this morning? Would you fill this place, would you fill this city with your hope today? And I pray that as I preach, Lord, we would encounter you and we would experience that hope. Amen. So, those of you who were here last week were lucky enough to hear the wonderful Mike preaching on Palm Sunday, which is Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And Jesus kind of surprised his followers by not doing this big triumphal entry on a horse and chariots, but he entered into Jerusalem on a humble donkey. And the disciples believed and knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, from the line of David, and they believed that he was going to restore the kingdom of Israel and overthrow the powers of the day. But what began with this unusual entry into Jerusalem on a donkey unfolded into a week of events that, for the disciples, were perhaps somewhat unexpected, uh, and for the world, were monumental. So on the Thursday evening, Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Passover together, the traditional feast, remembering when, um, when the Lord freed the Israelites from the oppression of Egypt and took them out of that place, into that freedom. They celebrated the Passover together. And he explained what was going to happen. He explained that his blood would be poured out and his body would be broken as a sign of the new covenant, the new relationship between God and his people. He explained that someone was going to betray him. That was Judas. And he said to Peter that he was going to deny that he even knew him at all. 
poor Peter. And then later, in the Garden of Gethsemane, after hours of agonizing prayer in the face of what was to come, Jesus is arrested and led away. And Peter follows at a distance, and sure enough, on three separate occasions before the night is over, he tells three different people that he doesn't even know Jesus. He's been one of his closest disciples, and he says that he doesn't even know him. And the scriptures tell us that when Peter realized what he'd done, he went outside and wept bitterly. Three years of following Jesus, of being one of his closest disciples, had just come down to that moment. But what Jesus knew, and what we now know, is that that was not the end. And that is not the end for Jesus, that was not the end for Peter, and it's not the end for us. Jesus' trial then continues, and eventually he's sentenced to crucifixion, the most brutal of Roman deaths. And as he breathed his last, darkness came upon the land. Just imagine this moment. Darkness came upon the land. The sun stopped shining. The curtain of the temple was torn in two, and the Son of God died as a perfect sacrifice once and for all, for the mockers, for the criminals, for the disciples, for Peter and for us. Jesus had taken upon himself the sin of the entire world and endured the cross for the joy set before him. And that joy was a restored relationship between his Father God and all of humankind. So let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 24, starting at the beginning. If you've got a Bible, feel free to grab it. The words will also come up on the screen. So... On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women, who were also followers of Jesus, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles, to the disciples of Jesus. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Well, what a start to their Sunday morning. (laughs) Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Incredible. But I wonder, did Peter take in in that moment when he was just seeing the strips of linen lying there? Did he actually take in what had happened? We're told that he went away wondering to himself. And actually, in the gospel accounts, we see that Jesus appears to the disciples and explains what has happened, the significance of it, and eventually it sinks in, it makes sense. That it means the forgiveness of sins for all people, which was to be preached to all nations, and that they would be clothed with power from on high to spread the good news. And the reality sank in that the Lord, this Messiah, that they'd put their hope in to deliver their people, had delivered all people for all time. 
the Lord Jesus Christ had died and risen again to bring hope and salvation to the entire world. And that is the reason that we're sat here today. Jesus is the hope of the world. Hallelujah. So, as I said, for the remainder of this morning, I would like us to consider what does this mean for us today? What difference does it make? And what does it mean for us, but also what does it mean for our city and for those around us? And in preparation for today, I was drawn to a passage in 1 Peter. So this is written by the very same Peter that we've just been talking about, had denied that he even knew Jesus. We see that later in John's Gospel, he is lovingly brought back into the fold by Jesus, having denied him. But he's brought back the same Peter that Jesus had called the Rock. Peter actually goes on to be one of the most prominent leaders in the early church. And in this letter... Peter, who knows what it is to struggle, to doubt, and to fail, is writing to encourage early Christians who were suffering and being persecuted because they were following Jesus. So this is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9, and it says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's meaty. The message translation, which is like a, a kind of modern translation of the Bible, just puts the first few verses like this. What a God we have, and how fortunate we are to have him, this father of our master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven, and the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all, Life healed and whole. So what I love about this passage is Peter describes the power of the resurrection as a living hope. And I was pondering why specifically called a living hope? And I thought, well, essentially the opposite would be a dead or a dying hope. A hope in something that doesn't offer life. And in essence, that would be a hope in anything else. Now, many of you may know some of my story that I've shared um, that before I knew Jesus, my hope was very firmly placed in my own kind of academic and career success. And my hope was in meeting the right person who would fulfill me and all my dreams would come true. And it would be like a Disney movie. And that just led me to a place of insecurity and hopelessness. I was building my house on the sand. I was putting all my hope in stuff that is not certain and is not solid, and it felt like it was just crumbling. But the death and resurrection of Jesus is a solid foundation for our hope. It grants us this inheritance that can never spoil 
or fade and a life healed and whole. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our hope. Jesus is alive, therefore our hope is alive. And it's a hope for the future and a hope for today. So Peter calls the hope for the future an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So what is this inheritance? Now, when we talk about inheritance, I naturally start to think about you know, a, a family member generously leaving some money or some valuables or even some property in their will for their descendants. And as a law student, I remember doing some work experience in the contentious wills and probate department of a solicitor's. Now, that might sound dull to you, but at the time of my life, it was fascinating. It was really fascinating having to work out what the person had intended when they had put something in their will. And you might have people disputing what this actually means and who's entitled to what. And the key challenge that I found makes it interesting is the person you really need to ask can't answer your questions anymore. So it was really interesting. Anyway, that's just an insight into me. But <laughs> when you draw up a will, the legal document is called a last will and testament. And testament essentially meaning Consider this a binding piece of evidence, an official sign of my intentions. And in sacrificing his beloved son and raising him to life again, God has made his official testament, conferring on us his inheritance. He's demonstrating in that his intentions for the entire world. And it's in the Bible in black and white for us to read. The Bible describes us as co-heirs in Christ. Through Jesus, we become heirs of the kingdom of God and adopted as sons and daughters of the king. And the kingdom is the place where God's rule and reign is restored. That kingdom is our inheritance. And rather than this long legal document detailing everything that we're entitled to, the Bible is littered with examples of what the kingdom of God looks like. Peter describes his inheritance as something that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It is eternal. Any other inheritance, really, if you think about it, is only temporary. It does only apply on this earth. But this inheritance is eternal. And in Revelation 21, we get this brief but beautiful description of our ultimate inheritance. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. God and humankind will dwell together and everything will be made new. And when we understand the nature of our inheritance, that gives us a hope for the future. And Peter goes on to say, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And in the same way that we're told Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. When we have our hope in a secure future inheritance, that can give us the encouragement that we need to keep going when life here on earth gets hard. Now, unfortunately, following Jesus does not guarantee a life free from pain. In fact, Jesus tells us that in this world, we will have trouble, but to take heart as he has overcome the world. And when we understand and value the glory that awaits us, we're better able to endure what comes our way in this life. We can give God praise even during trials 
because we've got his guarantee that we will receive everything that he has promised. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, I hesitate to say light and momentary troubles because it doesn't always feel like that, does it? It doesn't always feel like, oh, this is just a fleeting, just a fleeting period of horrendousness, does it? But Paul knew what it was to suffer when he wrote that. And we have a God who knows what it is to suffer. When our hopes in financial security or relationships or our career or our health, when those things come under attack, our whole lives can feel like they are just falling apart. But when our hope is in Jesus, the solid rock on which to build our lives, the cornerstone, as Peter calls it, we're not so easily shaken. Now, I'm sure many of you were saddened to see the pictures of Notre Dame and what happened this week. It's just, it's so sad. And I was just reflecting on one picture that was shared that in amongst all of the rubble and everything that had burnt, the cross, the cross was still standing there. This beautiful golden cross was still standing there. The fire wasn't hot enough to burn it. It's still there. And I just felt like, you know, cathedrals are built as a monument to God's glory, to show people how amazing he is. But for me, that picture, that in, amon- in amongst all of the rubble and all of the mess, that the cross is there, that's a picture of my king. Our inheritance can never spoil, perish, or fade. And he is the solid foundation. So when we know that this world isn't all that there is, that there's a world yet to come, this glorious kingdom that we're a part of, where every tear will be wiped away, where there will be no more suffering, and that ultimately death does not have the final say, that can give us the strength to endure. That can give us hope. And Peter says in the message version, the day is coming when you'll have it all, a life healed and whole. And as I prepared this talk and as some of us prayed this morning, I just really felt that for some of you, that's the message you need to hear today. That you may need to just be reminded that you have an inheritance that can never be taken away. And that despite your present suffering and what is going on in your life at the moment, there is always hope. And actually, maybe today you just need that hope restored. And when fear or the world would just say, oh, don't, don't get your hopes up. Jesus says, look up at me and I'll give you hope. And perhaps one of the most important and fundamental things to note about this inheritance, about this hope, is that it's available to everybody who accepts Jesus. Jesus says to a criminal dying next to him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. No matter what we've done, the ways that we've failed, as no doubt we all will, The outrageous good news of the gospel is that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are all welcomed into the kingdom of heaven with open arms by our Father God. And I love the song that we sung this morning. It's always encouraging when you've prepared a talk and then the worship team do the song that you were going to quote anyway. (laughs) I'll pay you later, guys. (laughs) This beautiful song, The Cross Has Spoken, I am forgiven. The king of kings calls me his own. Beautiful saviour, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. So we have this hope for the future, this glorious inheritance in which we can greatly rejoice. 
And as the passage says in the message version, the future starts now. We have a new birth, a new life, right here, right now. And Paul puts it this way in his second letter to the Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And in Ephesians, he explains that when we accept Jesus into our lives, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us as a deposit of our future inheritance. So when we invite Jesus into our lives, the actual life of God comes to live within us. And when that happens, we can't help but be changed. The Spirit of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead at work in our lives is transformational. And the Spirit bears fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. Peter says we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The future starts now. Now, Ian and I both came to faith when I think I was 20, you were 18, Ian was 18 when he came to faith, and for each of us on our individual journeys, it wasn't necessarily a promise of this future salvation that really kind of clinched it for us. That wasn't necessarily something we felt in need of or it didn't seem that relevant at the time. It was the offer of a fresh start and a new life right here, right now, that we were aware that we needed. And as I said earlier, all of my hope was in things that ultimately led to disappointment and hurt. But when I met Jesus, he invited me to put my hope in him. And in return, I received an inexpressible and glorious joy just a glimpse of my inheritance as a daughter of the king. And don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that life is always plain sailing, but it means that now my hope is anchored in him, and he will never let me down, and my life can be built on his strong foundation. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, this is your invitation. It's not just about what happens after you've gone. It's about a new life a life healed and whole right here, right now. That is what's on offer. The message describes it, a brand new life and everything to live for. A brand new life and everything to live for. A couple of weeks ago, um, I was walking out of the Welsh class that I do on a Friday morning. It takes place in one of the uni buildings. Um, and on the busy crossroads in Cates, where loads of students are always dangerously actually, crossing the road all the time. There were a couple of students there with a whiteboard just on the corner. And this whiteboard says, does life have a purpose? And they had two columns, they had a tally chart going. One said yes, and one said no. So suffice to say, this got my attention. <laughs> and I had to stop. And they said to me, so do you think that life has a purpose? So. I wasn't sure like, if they had an agenda or what they were trying to say. So I was like, yeah, I do. I'm a, I'm a Christian, so I definitely... And before I could finish my sentence, they're like, so are we! <laughs> I was like, oh, good, <laughs> encouraging. Um, and it turns out they were from um, All Nations Church, a wonderful church in this city. And they were just trying to have some conversations with people and just encourage opening up conversations about life and about faith. And they were inviting students to some Easter events that they did. So good on them. They said they'd had some really good chats with people. And I hope 
that it was just filled to the brim with people exploring faith. But what broke my heart was the number of people who put no. There were quite a lot of tallies in the no column. No, life doesn't have a purpose. And apparently some people had said, I would have put yes until recently. Something had happened in their life that meant they had completely lost hope and believed that life had no purpose. There are people in our city, in our neighbourhoods, next door even, who are living their lives without hope. And Ian and I have just been so encouraged at the stories of people loving their neighbours and inviting people into their homes, just giving them food, just giving a glimpse of the love of Jesus. It's so encouraging to see. We love it. Because our vision and the mission that we believe God has called us to as a church is to restore the city and renew the nation. And restoring the city involves introducing people to the life-changing love of Jesus, this radical, outrageous story of what he's done for us, the good news of the gospel. He died and rose again to make a way for us to be reunited to our Father in heaven. We want to introduce people to that hope. And the series that we've been doing at the moment is looking at one of the ways that we do that as kingdom carriers. And N.T. Wright, who I quoted earlier, he puts it this way. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is all about. We pray, your kingdom come your will be done. We are praying for glimpses of that heavenly inheritance to break into the here and now, exactly the way that Jesus taught us. And because we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we have this deposit of our future inheritance because we're co-heirs of Christ in the kingdom. We have the authority to bring the life of heaven to earth and to see people healed, to see people set free, exactly as Jesus did. And every time Every time we see breakthrough, every time we see healing, every time we see a life restored and turned around, that is a signpost of our future inheritance. That is just a glimpse of what is to come. And we've talked about the now and not yet of the kingdom because it's not fully here yet, which is why sometimes we don't see breakthrough and we might feel like our prayers aren't being answered. But thanks to Jesus, it is here now. And we catch glimpses when these moments happen, when we see people healed, when we see lives restored. And just as I've said that I was, there are people across our city and nation desperately putting their hope in things that will ultimately not bring life. As James said a couple of weeks ago, it's a bit of a funny time, you know, kind of politically in society. People are uneasy. People aren't sure where to put their hope. People don't know what's coming. And there are people putting their hope in things that won't bring them life. People who are in need of a fresh start, of a new beginning, a new hope, and a new purpose. And we have life to offer through the resurrection of Jesus. And as kingdom carriers, we carry that hope and demonstrate and proclaim that hope everywhere we go, every day. As Jen said, in three weeks' time, we're inviting everybody to get involved in Love Cardiff. Projects throughout the city. Why are we doing that? To offer those around us the hope that we have.
to give a glimpse of the restoration and redemption that God has in store, to invite our city to become co-heirs in the kingdom, to have their lives healed and whole, to fill our city with the life of heaven. What better way to spend a day? I'm just filling my city with the life of heaven. What about you? As kingdom carriers, we're carriers of a living hope that is found in Jesus. It's a hope for the future. It's a hope for today. And it's a hope for our city. Jesus is the hope of the world. He is the hope of the world. So today, on Easter Sunday, we celebrate the moment in history when hope in person surprised the whole world by coming forward from the future into the present. So praise the Lord, for he has risen. Amen.